So I'm going to share a word that God's given me today. I'm going to tell it through a couple of stories. The first story that we're going to look at is in Exodus. So that's in the Old Testament of the Bible. And if you want to turn to Exodus 14, that's where I'm going to be reading from. But before we read from the word, I'm just going to give a bit of context of what's going on in Exodus at that time. So that's Exodus 14 in the time. Um, so in the beginning of Exodus, it tells a story between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So there's these two different groups of people, and it's a story between those two groups of people. So on the one hand, there's the Israelites, and they are God's chosen people, and they are being kept as slaves by the Egyptians. Everyone following? Yeah, cool. So the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, so that's an awful long time, like... When I think about 400 years, like, I actually just cannot even comprehend it because like, I've been at uni for coming to three years now and I feel like that's a long time, let alone 400 years that they were um, in slavery for. Um, so obviously they're, they're trapped in slavery um, of Egyptians um, and they start crying out to God because obviously they don't want to be saved anymore. And God heard the cries of his people and he decided to act. So God came to the rescue of the Israelites and after sending 10 plagues to the Egyptians, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, finally let the, the Israelites go. So that's what we end up at, Exodus 14. That's what's happened. That's kind of like a brief, what's just happened. So I'm going to read from Exodus 14, verses 5 to 13. And then we'll go from there. So it says this. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. What have we done? Letting the all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariots and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with this raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces of Pharaoh's armies, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped near the shore of Pihahaloth, across from Baal Zephyr. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? One that enough graves for us in Egypt. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Amen. So that's, that's um, the scripture we're kind of going to be looking at for the first part of this, this message. And this is a scripture that I've literally led on probably in the last year of my life because I just think it's so amazing what God does. So the, the Israelites, they've just left Egypt and they're, they're camped at the shore of the Red Sea. So they're between the Red Sea and the, the Egyptian army. They're literally in this impossible situation. Like, if I was them, I don't know what I would be doing because, like, how are you going to get out of that one? It's a bit sticky, do you know what I mean? 
Um, so they had, they were, they were literally in the most impossible situation. And I just want us to like really imagine what this looks like, right? So I, um, we live kind of by the coast. So I don't know if anyone's been to like Great Yarmouth, Croma. Have you seen the sea? Yeah. It's big in it. <laughs> like I wouldn't want to just start swimming in it because um, I can't see the outside. Um, it's a massive like piece of water that they're faced against. Um, and me myself, I love Marvel movies. Um, and in Endgame, there's like this massive like battle scene. So you might not watch Marvel, but just think about like a big battle scene that you've watched in a movie. Um, like I wouldn't want to be faced with an army. Imagine the Israelites have, are carrying all their livestock, all their animals, they're with their, their children, their wives. Like they're not in a position to fight off that army. So they've, they've got that massive like, bit of water in front of them and that big army behind them, like what are they really going to do? And I feel like, you know, the Israelites, the word says that they panicked and honestly I don't blame them, like I would probably do the same. I don't know, um, you know, what I would do in that situation. But I just want to point out that right before this scripture, in verse 4 it says this, um, God had planned this in order to display his glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. So God had a plan, even though it looked crazy, like they didn't have a way out, God had a plan and he knew what he was doing. And even when things like were looking like they were getting bad for the Israelites and things were out of control, God was still in control. And God knew what was going to happen because he had a plan. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love the scripture so much because, you know, sometimes I find myself, probably even now, I feel like I'm in the midst of that impossible situation and maybe you feel like you're in the midst of your own impossible situation right now, but, you know, we feel stuck between a rock and a hard place, we feel like we're stuck between the Red Sea and the, the Egyptian army, but actually God has a plan and he has a plan for, um, for your life and he's still in control of that situation, even though it looks like there's no way out. Um, yeah, so even when we're in the midst of that, when there's no way out, God will make one for us. Um, and um, as I said, the, the Israelites panicked. And you know, I think that's something that we, we as humans, I feel like the Israelites just represent, I feel like, all of us. They represent us because that's what we do as people, we panic. Um, I just love that they're so human. And um, yeah, the Israelites appear to be suffering. That's, that's probably how they felt, they felt, but they weren't because of God. Um, but as a result of feeling stuck, they said this to Moses. This is what they said, I'm going to read out. Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So I wonder if that's what we do as people sometimes. Like, because it looks so difficult, let me go back to my life of slavery. You know, they were willing to put themselves back into a life of slavery. That they, they had literally been crying out to God, complaining about this life of slavery like a couple months ago. And now they're like, no, we want to go back. Like, you know what I mean? And um, they were willing to settle for that. And when we're faced with a difficult life moment, sometimes rather than trust God, um, trust that he's in control and able to get us out of it, we're willing to settle for that life of slavery as well. But God doesn't want us to settle, God wants to do the miraculous in our lives. And he wants to create a way for us to get out. That's what he wants to do in your life today. Rather than panic, all we have to do is stay still. That's what Moses says, just we can't stay still. The Lord himself will fight for you. He'll literally fight for you. All you have to do is stay still. He's not asking a lot of us, you know? He's actually not asking a lot of us. 
Um, yeah, so I'm going to read this out. Exodus 14, 21 and 22. This is, what, this is what God does in response to that impossible situation that they're in. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, with walls of water each side. That path that God created through the sea, that wasn't there before. That didn't exist before God made it exist. Um, and you know, sometimes, like I said, we are stuck in that impossible situation, and we can't see a way out. But if we just wait on God, he will actually make it. He'll make it for us so that we can actually get out of those situations. And you know, as I said at the beginning, he had a plan. That was always God's plan. God always had a plan to get them out of that situation. And even, even though maybe you feel like you're in that impossible situation, just remember God has a plan to get you out of it. Um, and none of the Egyptians survived. All of those Egyptians that were chasing them, they got overtaken by the sea. Um, and we don't need to panic, but trust God. Trust the Lord that he has a plan. Um, and our en enemies will not survive against us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper, because we are children of the Most High God. Yeah. Um, so, the theme is for this month is love. Um, love never fails in space, and one from field. So, I just told you that story, found in Exodus, but what does that have to do with <laughs> what does it have to do with love? And actually, the story of the Israelites is the story of redemption. It's about um, basically to redeem, to buy back, to reclaim possession of. And the Israelites were God's people and they were slaves, but God claimed them back as his own people. Um, you know, God redeemed them because he loved them. And actually, in the next chapter, they're singing a song. And what the, the line in the song says this, With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. God redeemed the Israelites through his unfailing love, and he continued to guide them. And God wants to redeem us through his unfailing love, and he wants to guide us. So that's the first story that I wanted to share with you all. And I've got one more story, and I think this story is the best story in the Bible, in my opinion, and it's the story of Jesus. Um, so you've probably heard it before, um, but if you haven't, then this is an amazing time for you to hear it for the first time. But if you have heard it before, um, it's very fitting that we have communion, because um, it's always good to remember what Jesus has done for us and cast our, our gaze back onto him. So um, the story of Jesus is summed up perfectly in John 3, 16. I'm going to read it out. You probably have had it before, but I'm going to read um, verse 16 and 17 as well, just so we can get like the context of um, why Jesus came. And it says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that, he ever, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus came um, and died for us so that we can freedom. That is the gospel, but we'll dive a little bit more into it. So I'm going to do like a brief like summary of Jesus' life, but it's going to be very brief. If you want to like read more about it, go to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, so yeah, it kind of starts with Mary. Um, so our story begins when an angel comes to see Mary 
um, the mother of Jesus, and says to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. So the angel told Mary that she would conceive Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So Mary was engaged to Joseph, but it wasn't through Joseph that, that Jesus was born, it was through the Holy Spirit. Um, so that Jesus was sinless, and um, then we'll just fast forward. Um, Jesus is born, um, and shepherds come to see Jesus, the wise men come to see Jesus, and they came to glorify him because there was this recognition that this baby was special. Like, I don't know about you, but when I got with my children, I don't think all these people are going to come visit my baby. I mean, it'd probably be nice if they come and bought gifts, but I don't think it's going to happen. But just that. Just that the fact that they even did that just shows you that this baby was something different about this baby. He was a special baby. Um, and I'm not going to go through um, kind of Jesus' upbringing, but he was brought up in the Jewish culture. So he spent his time going to the synagogue with his um, family and, and his siblings. But we'll fast forward to um, Jesus' ministry. So that starts when he's 30 years old and it lasts for three years. Um, and his ministry just basically means like, his work for God. Um, so during his ministry, he did many, many things. He uh, performed miracles, he performed healing, he, he taught um, people, um, he spent time with people, he dined with people, he ate with people. Um, but I want to tell you two of my, my personal favorite stories from Jesus' time in ministry. And the first one is when Jesus heals the woman with blood. So basically there's this woman, and she's been um, bleeding for 12 years. Um, I can't imagine what that's like. Uh, doesn't sound very comfortable to be bleeding for 12 years. Um, but basically, that's, that's the position that she's in. Um, and Jesus is walking through this crowd. And this woman, she, she believes that if she, just, if she can just reach out and touch the hem of um, his robe, that she'll be healed. So that's what she does. She reaches out and she touches the, the hem of Jesus' robe. And immediately she's healed. She's healed from her 12 years of bleeding. Um, and Jesus says, he looks around and he's like, who touched me? And um, Peter, his, one of his disciples, is like, bro, like, there's a lot of people here. Like, it could be any one of them. He's in this massive crowd. Like, literally any one of them could have, could have touched you. And Jesus is like, no, someone touched me. I felt that healing power go out of me. Um, and so eventually the woman speaks up and she, she explains, I've been bleeding for 10 years and I just, I just wanted that healing, so I touched, I reached out and touched the, the hem of your robe. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Um, and I love this story because it just shows that Jesus is able to change lives. Jesus is actually able to change lives. This woman has suffered for 12 years. Um, but Jesus wanted to change that for her. And maybe you've been suffering for a long time, but actually God wants to change that for you. He wants to change that for you. Um, not only that, we see that faith, the belief that something will happen, is what allowed that woman to be healed. Um, the woman believed that if she just reached out and touched, that she would be healed, and that's why she was healed. Um, so do you, do you believe that Jesus will change your life? Do you believe that Jesus will change your life? You know, Jesus allowed the woman's health to be restored. Jesus wants to restore us. That's the whole purpose of him coming to earth. He wants to restore us. So that's um, 
the first story from Jesus' ministry. And the second story is um, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's one of my favourite stories as well. Um, I'm going to read it. It's in John 11, verses 38 to 44. Um, and it says this. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of the people standing here, so that you will believe that they that so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Again, I love this story because it just shows the glory of God. It shows what God is able to do. Again, it shows that God is able to change lives. It shows that he can do the impossible, he can make the impossible possible. The same way he, he created an exit route for the, the Israelites. Um, he call, like caused the dead to live, and that's just not possible. Like this man had been dead for four days. Like in human like in human life, that's not possible to happen, but God can make the impossible possible. Um, and again, there's that there's that importance of faith. Jesus tells us that if we believe, we will see the glory of God. If we have faith, we will see the glory of God. Um, and again, Jesus restores the life of Lazarus to him. He's in that business of restoration. Um, he wants to redeem us, he wants to restore us. Um, so that's just a little snapshot of what Jesus was kind of doing in his ministry. Um, and then we get to the point where Jesus is carrying out his ministry, he's doing all these things, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's um, spending time with people, he's performing miracles. Um, but then he's betrayed, so he's betrayed by um, Judas, one of his disciples, and his disciples are like his close group of friends, the people that he's invested into, um, but Judas betrays him, um, and he betrays him to, him to the people that want to kill him, so um, the Jewish religious leaders that want to kill Jesus. Um, yeah, so Jesus gets arrested, um, and he stands trial before Pilate. He was the governor of the people. Um, and Pilate asked the people, he's got Jesus in his custody, custody, and he says, he is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year over Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man, we want Barabbas. And Barabbas was a revolutionary. So in, in the custom, um, Pilate would release someone at Passover, and it was between Jesus or this guy Barabbas, and they chose that they wanted Barabbas to be released. Barabbas was a criminal, um, but he was set free, and Jesus was taken um, to die. And I just think even that picture is so amazing to me because I feel like we are Barabbas. <laughs> you know, we're the ones that deserve to die, but Jesus steps in and does that for us. Um, so anyway, Jesus was sentenced to death. Um, Jesus was then flogged. He was whipped. 
He was beaten, they placed a crown of thorns on his head. Um, he was mocked, and then they led him to be crucified. And not only that, he had to carry his own cross on his back um, to the, the place that he would die. He had to carry the thing that he would die upon to the place where he would die. Um, but that was Jesus' mission. That's why he came to earth. That was his mission. That's what he was made to be. Um, and you know, then Jesus was placed on the cross. They, they um, put the nails in his hands, they put the nails in his feet, and he hung on that cross for us. Um, and you know, John 19, 30 says, Jesus says, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So Jesus gave up his life to take on the burden of humanity's sins, take on the burden for our sin. And we just, when Jesus died, he took on all the things that we had done wrong, all the times that we've lied to our friends, all the times that we've gossiped about that person at work, all the times that we've lusted over somebody, all the times that we've been angry to someone, all the times that we've, all the things that we've ever done here, that's what Jesus died for. He took the burden off for us. Jesus died to redeem us and restore us. He, he died to redeem and restore humanity. But not only did Jesus die, he rose again. And that's, it's just amazing. Like, I don't think we'll ever, I don't know about you, but I'll never get over this, this story because it's not just a story, this is the truth. This is what's happened, you know. Um, Jesus rose again. Death could not overcome Jesus because Jesus had the power over death and he had the power over sin. And that's what love looks like. When Sam asked me to, to preach this message, kind of, this was the kind of first thing that I thought about because what better way to talk about love but than the love that Jesus showed to us? You know, there's no greater love than that. Um, so yeah, Jesus took on the punishment of our sins so that we could live in freedom. Um, and that freedom is open to us now. It's available to us now. Um, God is in the business of redeeming people. He loves people and he's for people, for anyone that wants to, you know. And um, this uh, kind of theme is based on um, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to read all of it, but 1 Corinthians 13 is literally a picture of Christ. There's no one else that embodies all of those things. That's what we aspire to be, because we aspire to be like Christ, but Christ is the only person that truly embodies all of those things. Um, so in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never gives up, love never loses faith, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstances, through every circumstance. The love of Christ never gives up on us, it doesn't fail us, it's consistent, it endures through everything. Even when we're stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, God's love endures for us. God loves us through everything that we have walked through in life, and he continues to love us now. Um, and then I just want to sort of just close our eyes. I'm going to read out Romans 8, verse 35 to 39 before I hand back to Sarah. Um, but just to, to really think about the love of Christ, and it says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or persecuted or hungry, or destitute or in danger, or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth beneath. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Bethan, well done. That was a great word. God's redeeming love is powerful. Amen. If you've not made that decision to open your heart to the Lord, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. Your eternity rests on it. You must know that. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, will not perish, but have eternal life. And if you want that, if you want to know more about it, come and speak to us. But I encourage you just to open up the Bible and just to open up your heart and prayer to God and seek him. And you will find it if you seek him with all your heart. And that's his promise to you.